Now, it was a couple weeks ago, and um, my wife, Melissa, who's in the front row here, uh, she allowed me to, to share this with you guys a little bit, but she, man, she had been having a week of it, had experienced some things, uh, her extended family, uh, some unexpected things had popped up, and just a really difficult week, and particularly a really difficult day um, had kind of culminated, and we've all had those days, right, where things are already stirring, and there's all these pieces that are all kind of out of focus, and we have that one day where they come back together, but not in focus, but just to sort of pile on and just create um, one of those moments where everything feels a little um, out of control. And she had one of those days, and I remember that night, she sat down on the couch, and she looked me in the eyes, and she said, she said, tell me something good. She said, I just need to hear something good. Can you just tell me something good? And man, we all need to be told something good. We all need that. We, we have all had those moments where all of life's junk is just pressing on us and we just need something to refresh us. We need something to break through the muck. We need somebody to tell us something good. Most specifically, and what we're going to be talking about this morning, is we need rhythms that remind us of what, what's good. We need things in our life. We need to develop and cultivate things in our life where by virtue of God's people and God's word, we are being told something good, right? We need rhythms that remind us of God's glory, of his goodness, of his love and his compassion for us. And we need those things because the church is a living organism. And it's made up of a bunch of messy people. Sorry, that's, that's how I'm defining you today. But a bunch of messy people being conformed to Christ. Because of that, God has called us to establish some rhythm, some order, some structure so that Christ remains the head, we remain in him, and we are receiving good things and we are also able to share those good things. So what we're going to talk about this morning is that as the church and what it means to be the church is that we have order and structure. Now, I, I kind of want to change the word order. Um, I, I'm, I, I feel like that word just doesn't quite capture it um, in terms of like the language that we use at Substance. So um, that's what it says on your bulletin. I'm going to change it to rhythm and structure. We have rhythms and structure. And the reason why I like rhythms better is because I was just thinking of like some of my favorite songs and some of the things I like about my favorite songs is that they have these great beats. And never once have I ever listened to that song, gotten a good mood and said, wow, it has such great order to it. No, I, I just say, man, I really love the rhythm, right? And so we're going to change this, we're going to change this, this sermon title right on the fly because that's how we roll. That's how I roll. And we're going to change it to we have rhythm and structure. And so the question we want to answer is, well, how do we accomplish this in the church? If you've been coming to Substance for a long time, you just kind of catch it, right? We, we kind of have a particular kind of way that we go through our order of service, which is what we call our liturgy. We have a, we have a way that we structure the church uh, in terms of when we scatter. We have community groups in the middle of the week. And then we have all these other things that we do that really aren't as seen with how we structure our leadership. And we have elders and we have deacons. And so we're just going to talk a little bit about those things to kind of maybe even for the first time, even for those of you who've been here for a while, don't, don't really know, don't really know how we go about structuring and ordering this. But we want to talk about how we accomplish this particular kind of rhythm and structure 
um, in our church. And what it actually is pointing to, which is this, the story of the gospel, right? So we put together a particular kind of rhythm and structure that we derive from God's word that really is made up, which encompasses the story of the gospel, which by the way, is a story of renewal. And so when we say the story of the gospel, what we're talking about is the one biblical story, right? So when you start in Genesis, and if you just, if you, if you just uh, carve a path from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and you gotta do it more than once to get this, but what you'll get is you'll get this one biblical story of the gospel, and it breaks down four ways. It breaks down in these four ways. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. That's the theme or the thread that goes all the way through scripture from Genesis to Revelation. So we wanna just talk a little bit about, when we talk about our rhythms of the church, how does that thread through our rhythms? How does that, that story of the gospel, that one biblical story, that, that creation, fall, redemption, restoration story, how does, it, how does it take us through sort of the rhythms that we're trying to establish as a church? Well, the first part is through our Sunday liturgy. Kind of what we're doing right now, not kind of, we, we are doing it right now, but our Sunday liturgy, and by the way, liturgy is just a fancy word for order of service, it traces the gospel story and then imprints it on our hearts. That's what we just did. That's what we're actually in the middle of doing right now. If you noticed, I jumped up here at approximately 10.01, and I did this thing called a call to worship, right? And this kind of gets us back to this idea of God creating everything, and everything he created was for the extent and purpose of, of being worshipers of him. And we look down here in Genesis chapter one, if you're with me, verse 28, and he called them to what is this thing called the creation mandate in verse 28. And it says, God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God had created Adam and Eve uh, in his own image. He created the heavens of the earth. He declared everything good. And he called us to cultivate and care for those things as an act of worship to him. So if you've ever wondered, like, I don't know what to do in the morning. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know, for, I don't know the reason for which I was put on this earth. Well, at a base level, we were put on this earth. We were created in the image of God to be worshipers of God and to care and to cultivate for everything and every person that he's placed in our sphere as an act of worship to him. He said it was good. And so we begin our service with a call, in a sense, back to worship. So actually, that would almost be more accurate to say we're doing a call back to worship back to worshiping the creator of the universe, who again created Adam and Eve to be people who worshiped him and also reflected that worship by obeying God's command to care for and cultivate the earth. So that's the creation or the call to worship part of our liturgy that helps continue to imprint the gospel story on our hearts. And then we get to the second part where you notice we do a prayer or a reading or a, a, a time of confession. And this gives us, if you want to turn to Genesis 3, just go up a page or two. And this gives us into what happened in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve fell. And we read in verse 7 where it says, And the eyes of both were opened. This is after they sinned. 
And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So this thing happened where God made everything perfect. He created the heavens and the earth. He made Adam and Eve. He began the process of mankind through creation. And then Adam and Eve fell. Adam and Eve sinned. Adam and Eve disobeyed the clear commands of God that he put in place for their flourishing. And they sinned against God, listen to this, by desiring to be like God. What Adam and Eve did in that moment was they introduced idolatry into the human race. And so what we try to do in terms of being a church that wants to tell the gospel story every week, be reminded that we're called to worship, we also want to remember who we are. We're sinners. We may be saved by grace, but we're sinners, and we want to recognize that as sinners, man, we're not God, and we need to go before God to have a time of confession and repentance of our sins so we can also experience some cleansing from that sin. So that's an important rhythm for us as the gospel continues to be more deeply imprinted on our hearts. And then you'll notice we move to this section called an assurance of grace or redemption. We're reminded once again that despite our sin, God put together a plan. He put together a plan to save mankind from his wrath, right? So let me just say this, all right? God didn't save you to accept him in your heart. God saved you from his wrath because he cannot tolerate sin. That's just the more real and accurate way of saying what God did when he sent Jesus to the cross. It's so much more helpful for us to process it actually the way that the Bible speaks about it. It's so much deeper. It's so much richer. It gives you a fuller picture of Jesus and what he came to do and why it's so important that in our liturgy, we do this thing called an assurance of grace to be reminded that God indeed did send his son and that we indeed were sinners and that indeed by his grace, we can be made new again. In fact, if you turn to Isaiah chapter 9... I'm going to kind of use the Christmas passage here because in the Old Testament, we get these prophecies. We get men who spoke about the coming of Christ. And in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, I'm just going to read. We're going to read this a lot in December, but I'm going to read it right now because I, you know, I love Christmas and I'm just trying to jumpstart this thing. But it says, for to us, a child is born to us, a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So we have this prophecy about what it was that God had been planning since the beginning of time, since before the foundation of the world, like Paul tells us in Ephesians, to put together a plan to save us from God's wrath. And so on Sunday, what we like to do is we like to be assured that that grace that God saved us by, because it had nothing to do with anything that we could accomplish on our own, we like to be assured that that is still true. And you know what? You need to hear that. And I need to hear that. Man, I just need to be reminded that however badly I screwed up this week, whatever place my, I found my thoughts in, whatever unkindness just came shooting out of me 
to somebody in my sphere, some of my friends, my spouse, I can be assured that regardless of what happens, the grace of God is still effective in my life because it's a work of God through Christ on the cross. Amen? It's still effective. we got to be reminded of that. That needs to be reprinted on our hearts. Why? Because it's part of the one biblical story. It's part of the gospel that needs to just continue to revolve and, and come in and come out, be received and then shared. So we have an assurance of grace. And then we move towards the end. We're going to get here in a minute. We move to this time of a, where we do a profession of faith. We affirm these words that we've heard, these words that we've sung. And then we sing a song of response so that our heart can again be returned in an act of praise back to the Lord. And then we do a benediction, which is just a blessing from Scripture that says, hey, remember God is with you as you go out. And then we move into our time. We just call it our community feast. Revelation 21.5 says this, and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things New. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So as we, as we finish our time here in this particular, uh, you know, sitting in our chairs, singing songs, hearing the word preach, and then transitioning to this community feast, what we're doing is we're being reminded of what is to come. We're being reminded that God is in the process of making all things new for us. And eating, I don't know, it just helps, be, helps us be reminded of that. That someday we are going to feast with God, with Jesus, at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So we are anticipating something when we break here and we go into that room there and we eat together. In other words, think of it like this. This is part of our liturgy, that community feast, right? Right? The worship service is not over when we pray and you're dismissed. It actually continues. It continues all the way as we go into the cafe and we eat. And this feast anticipates something. It anticipates that the new is here, that the new is coming. It's this, what we call this already but not yet reality of the Christian life. Yes, Christ has come. He's provided salvation for us, but it's not reached its fullest. It will someday, but we're not quite there yet. And what a feast does together is it reminds us of what's coming. It's anticipatory for us. Gosh, I remember, um, man, the origins of our community feast. I, you know, for those of you who were here eight, nine years ago, you know, we were meeting in a church up the road. There was about 30 of us. And uh, we'd finish the service and we'd just, just kick it on over to my kitchen. And um, all the stuff you see laid out there was laid out on our much smaller table. We don't have a table that big at the house. And um, we, would just, we would just eat together. We would hang out. We would fellowship together because it was, it was our only option because we didn't have the space to meet. But since day one, that community feast has been something that has been part of our liturgy. And it's kept us tied together as a people that aren't just so eager to scatter, but they want to continue this act of worship through things that we don't always necessarily even view as worship until we read scripture and we see how much it's a part of the way that God's people interact and commune together. So those are just some of the rhythms that we take part of as a way 
to trace the gospel story as a way for that story to be imprinted on our hearts. And then we do things like communion and baptism, which is also part of the gospel story. We're going to be taking communion this morning in a few minutes. And it's this moment that we take part of what God has told us through Christ to remember about what happened on the cross, that it was his broken body, it was his shed blood. That's the reason why we have remission of sins. That's the reason why we can stand before God with a clear conscience, guilt-free, and actually face one another with honesty and truth. Why? Because it was Christ's broken body, it was his shed blood that made that possible. And so I can look you in the eye, I can face you even in my sin. And I can say, hey, my shame has been taken away. My guilt has been removed. Man, whatever happened this morning, whatever happened this week, man, the gospel means that I can be transparent with you. I can be vulnerable with you. And how we live that out even further to make sure that that gospel is imprinted is we do community groups. That's the second part of what we're going to talk about. So our Sunday liturgy, it traces the gospel story and imprint it on our hearts. Our community groups, well, it traces the gospel story too. But we imprint it on one another's hearts. That's what we do with community groups. Man, I remember the first time I went to a community group like 45 years ago. It was at another church. I'm kidding. It wasn't, I'm not that old. And um, I would have been not even born yet. Um, <laughs> see, I need to repent of that right there. That was a lie. That's called a lie. That's your pastor lying to you on a Sunday. Um, but I just confess, so I'm, I'm, I've been set free. Um, but I remember, I'm, I can't look at my wife right now. She's her head's down. She's like, well, we better start looking for a new church. And, um, but man, I remember the first community group we went to. Oh, I so didn't want to go. It was incredible. We're driving up there and I have that, I have the look on my face as the dude that doesn't want to do the thing they're doing. And the wife's like, yay, we're going to community group. You know, it's that whole vibe, right? And um, we got up there and I'm not, man, this is no joke. And I've told this story a million times, but I put my hand on the door. I looked over at Melissa and I said, you know, we can still get back in the car. Nobody's seen us. And I've been in a community group ever since. Um, but I remember what a, what a life changer it was for us in terms of getting to know other people in the church. That group, literally, we were only in it a couple of years, changed our life. In fact, if I go back, if I had time to do this, I don't obviously right now. If, if I had time to, to share my story with you, I can trace it back to somebody in that community group that cared for me, that mentored me, that spoke truth into my life. And it literally, it literally carves a path to where I am right now standing before you preaching the gospel. It was that important for us. Again, remember, hand on the door, uh-uh, right? And yet we went through the door and God has opened all these other doors because of that. CG's changed our lives. This is a significant rhythm of our church. It reminds us that God renews us in the gospel through both heartfelt and sacrificial community with others, man. We continue that community feast in community groups. We fellowship together. We study God's word. We pray. We listen to one another. We allow each other to, to grieve. We allow each other to confess what's going on in their lives. It's how we learn what God is doing in the lives of the church. They give us opportunity to love and to serve one another. We're going to talk more about that next week, how we serve one another. It gives us an opportunity to build up and encourage one another. 
to, to listen and be listened to, to share our griefs and sorrows, also to share our wins, to share our joys. Man, I think about the people in my community group who I've gotten to know over the years. I think about Zeke Ziegler and how much I've gotten to know about his life because he's in my community group. I think about Terry sitting right here in the second row. She just hated I said that. But I think about how much I've gotten to know about her life and not just know about her life, but benefit from her life. Because what Terry doesn't know and what what nobody knows is that when everybody scatters for the night, what happens to me and Melissa is we sit there and we're typically just so encouraged and we're dumbfounded in a good way by all of the by all of the the truth that was spoken in the group that night that just helped us, it encouraged us, it built us up to see your growth, to see the things that you are struggling through. Why? Because you just share those things with us because it's no different because we have a commonality with our wins and our joys and our griefs and our sorrows and the things that we're experiencing and the things that we need help with. We need that gospel more deeply imprinted in us. And community groups are one of the significant ways that that happens for us in the church. If you notice, as a church, we don't do a lot more than that. We try to keep it really stripped down. We always have since the beginning. It's not that we're opposed to doing other stuff, and we do other stuff. But in terms of just our regular rhythms and order, um, we like to do these two things, Sunday gatherings and community groups, as a way to continue receiving and then sharing that gospel story. So those are two ways that our rhythms work out in the life of the church. We could spend hours doing this. And in fact, um, our next membership class, which we're going to call Intro to Substance, it's going to happen in January because we're gearing up for sort of a, a change in the way that we're doing it. But this is where we take some of these things and we just flesh them out a, a little more fully, a little more intricately. But that was just sort of a, just sort of a deep dive, but, but kind of, a, kind of a, a, a flyover at the same time. But I want to finish up our time here with talking a little bit about our leadership structure. Because although we have rhythms um, that tell the gospel story and imprints it deeper on our hearts, part of our order is the leadership structure which is modeled to us in scripture. Now, the person that sits at the top of that leadership structure, of course, is Jesus Christ. You can turn to Colossians all the way into the New Testament. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 And this is what it says. It says, speaking of Jesus, he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That scripture means a lot to us because it reminds us of who the actual lead pastor of Substance Church is, and it ain't me. It's Jesus Christ. I'm just an under-shepherd. I'm just this clown that somehow the dude with the hand on the community group door that didn't want to go, you know, 20 years later, he like grabbed me and I, here I am, right? I don't know. There's a lot missing in there, in that story. But he is the pastor. He is the shepherd. He is above all things. It's above and through him that all things were made. He is preeminent. At the top of everything is Jesus Christ, the head of Substance Church, the true lead pastor of substance because he has a primary role in creation and redemption and transformation. Jesus founded the church. And as the founder, he brings forth the church. He birthed the church. He builds the church and he gives it life through his death and through his resurrection. That's why the first name, when we look at the structure of the church, is not Ronnie, it's not Jeff, it's not Zach, it's Jesus. 
Man, that should make, you should be stoked about that right now. That's maybe the best thing I'm gonna say all morning, for sure, right? But Jesus is at the top of our leadership structure. But scripture has also given us elders, given us what's called under shepherds, given us leaders. And if you turn to Ephesians 4, verse 11, we've turned, I think we've turned to this, this passage every, um, every single week because it's so key when we talk about being the church. But Paul writing to the church of Ephesus, he says, and he gave the apostle, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Sorry, that was Ephesians 4, 11. So Jesus Christ leads his church through ministers of the word called pastors or elders. We use that word interchangeably at substance. So when we say elder, we mean pastor. When we say pastor, we mean elder. Why? Well, because that's how scripture uses them. We just want to use the language that scripture uses. Maybe you've been at other churches that use words like leadership committee or board of elders. Nothing wrong with that. We just, again, one of our, part of our heart at Substance is to simplify, just keep things very simple um, in terms of what scripture lays out for us. And so we are men who preach the word, pray for the church, and disciple the congregation. That's what God has called us to be and called us to do uh, as elders, as leaders of the church that in fact he leads. And the fact that Christ leads his church through human shepherds, through us, um, is confirmed in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5, just so you don't think I'm just power hungry and I'm making these things up. But uh, Peter says, so I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So Peter's an elder writing to elders. And he says, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, he says this, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So we have a charge by God to shepherd this particular flock. Not that one over there, not that one over there, but this particular one right here. That's been the call for us just as human leaders. And he hasn't just called one leader. Notice he says elders, and in fact, when you hear Paul talk about the word elders or pastors, it's always plural. So that's why here at Substance, we practice this thing called a plurality of elders. There was no indication in scripture that the church was to be governed or led by, by a single elder or pastor. Now listen, sometimes that has to happen, right? You're in a church plant situation. A guy's planting a church. He's the only guy. It takes time to raise up elders. Um, we had a different kind of uh, scenario here at Substance when we planted because Jeff planted the church with me along with one of our previous elders, Dave Derland. So we were really blessed to have some equipped leaders on the ground. What a blessing that's been for us to be able to start our journey um, with, with leaders. But it's our job to, as a team of elders, a plurality, have, have oversight into the goings of the church to teach you, to pray for you, to disciple you. And we do it so imperfectly that it's a wonder that Jesus actually employs human shepherds to do that. But that's another way that we also stand with you in the trenches because we're not standing above anything. We have the same struggles that you do. We also have the burden of needing to model a life that you are able to imitate. And that is just a horribly scary thing for me to stand up here right now and even say to you. But that's the call. We have to model a life that is worthy of imitation. 
right? And that goes back to the qualifications of an elder. I'm not going to make you turn there, but if you ever look in 1 Timothy 3 or, or Titus 1, you'll see what those qualifications are, man. First off, we got to be the husband of, of one wife, baseline, right? And um, we also need to be able to manage our own household well. We, uh, we need to, to, to be people that, are, that have dignity and that have integrity in the way that we move and operate within our home and with the, within the the community. What about women? Um, I thought I could walk around this, but I decided not to. Substance holds to a complementarian view of men's and women's role in the church. And when we say complementarian view, there's, it means a complementary view, okay? I'm not going to have time to unpack that. We unpack, we unpack that in much more detail when we do our membership class. And for all the college students here, please, when I'm, what I'm about to say, do not go running out the door screaming and shrieking, all right? Hear, hear me out here. We hold to a complementary view of men's and women's roles. Roles is really the key word here. We believe that scripture reserves the role of just elder slash pastor to qualified men. Okay, so that is, that is how we structure um, our leadership here in the church just for the role of elder pastor. But it is clear that women can and should be serving and leading in many other roles. And you see that all through substance, right? You'll see qualified female members of substance have the role of deaconesses. They'll be leading ministries. They'll be teaching classes. They will pray. They will read scripture during Sunday services. They will be community group leaders. They will administer communion, just to name a few things. Now, again, I don't have time to tease that out other, to, other than to say that when we talk about roles, we're not talking about anything that has to do with the worth or the gifting of, of men and women, other than this is something that we see a little more clearly in Scripture, the way God designed things from creation. Again, I wish I had more time to unpack that. If this is something that is already concerning you as you're hearing me say that, I'd love to have a conversation about that, spend a little more time with you in that. Um, but that is, how we, that is how one of the ways that we structure the church. And, and I wanted to talk about it because maybe some of you have been here a while and you always see a dude up here preaching and you've come from churches where they weren't complementarian, but they were what's called egalitarian, where they, they allow for men and women to, to, um, to fulfill those roles. We actually hold a complementarian view. And so I just wanted to be clear about that so that we all had at least just a cursory understanding of that and that I wouldn't be accused of being a chicken. All right. Um, and then so as we're wrapping this up a little bit, we have deacons and deaconesses. That would be part of our leadership structure. When we go uh, to Acts 6, we see that um, the elders of the church, um, they needed to bring in people, qualified men and women, that could lead out in a bunch of different areas of service in the church because they really need to concentrate on what the uh, calling of an elder is, which is preaching the word, which is praying for the church, which is discipling the congregation. And so we have deacons and deaconesses that fulfill those roles around the church. And let me just say, man, what a blessing uh, this has been, man. If you're, if you're in a deacon role, you've been in a deacon role or a deaconess role, man, so grateful for you. I mean, we are still a, a relatively small to mid-sized church. We do not have a large staff and to have deacons and deaconesses to um, be able to come in with their skill, um, just manage many of the, of the things that we do that make this church, you know, uh, function the way that we want it to function. What an, what an amazing blessing. Man, I just, I feel thankful when I think about 
um, just the sacrifice that our deacons and our deaconesses make um, for the functionality of the church. Again, we could get much deeper into that, but I want to finish with just a couple of things. And the first is to ask the question, why do we do this? Why do we do this? Different churches have different structures. Um, you'll see a commonality in a lot of churches that follow something like this. There might be some different distinctives here and there, like I just pointed out with complementarianism or egalitarianism. Um, but why do we do this? Well, it gets us back to the beginning of what I talked about, which is gospel renewal. It's the gospel story being imprinted on our hearts and then sharing it with other hearts. We create a rhythm and a structure that allows the gospel to continue to transform us from one degree of glory to another. Most importantly, we have rhythm and structure so that Jesus Christ remains central. It's not just because we love rhythm and structure. It's not just because it makes us feel organized, right? It's so that Jesus Christ remains head of the church. He remains central. Ephesians 2.19 so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Talking about all of us, Paul's doing. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, all this stuff I'm talking about, being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. That's it right there. All the stuff right there is being done so that Jesus Christ remains Central, and that we grow together as a holy temple in Him. Three ways that you can help the leadership at Substance. Okay? I want to talk about three ways that you can help us as leaders. And then I want to talk about two of the best ways to receive and share the blessings of this rhythm and order that we have. Three ways you can help the leadership of Substance. Number one, remember the seriousness of our call. Remember that. Hebrews 13, 7. I'm not going to have you turn because I'm, I'm going a little quick right now. But Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. I hate saying imitate my faith. And it's not because I don't think that I'm trying to live out my faith with integrity before the Lord. That's just heaviness. Because Jeff has to answer to the Lord. Zach has to answer to the Lord. And I have to answer to the Lord for all of this someday. And that's heaviness. Remember the seriousness of our call too. Help us lead you joyfully. All right? Help us lead you joyfully. You do that, by the way. But let me read this, just in case you've forgotten. All right? Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. What I just said. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. I probably don't need to add much to that because that was so specific, but help us to lead you with joy. Have grace on us um, because we feel it and we need it and we are so grateful for it when you give it to us. And by the way, you do give it to us. So let me say thanks to that rather than this sounding like I'm throwing a dart at you. I'm actually not. I'm super grateful for the way that you allow us to lead joyfully. Third, pray diligently for us. Hebrews 13, 18. Pray for us, it says, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience. In other words, we're, we're trying to lead with integrity, desiring to act honorably in all things, but we need you to pray because we face the same temptations that you do. 
and we need your prayer. So those are three ways you can help the leadership of substance. But let me finish with this. As people who need rhythms that remind you of God's glory, his goodness, his love and compassion, how do you best receive and share the blessings of this particular rhythm and structure that we put into place? Two things. The first is this. By devoting yourself to the life of the church. Devote yourselves to the life of the church. Man, if you've been, on the, if you've been just sort of teetering, been straddling this whole membership thing for years, man, dive in. Commit. Get involved. Give us your all. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Become a covenant member. Again, we're going to have another membership class in January. I'm usually, not this, I'm usually not this robust in how I'm urging you to become covenant members, but I'm going to do it right now. Become connected and committed to this church so that you can receive the fullness of the blessings that come with our rhythm and our structure. And then we can share those with each other. Devote yourself to the life of the church. I'm not making that up, by the way. I just read you Acts 2.42. Finally, don't give up. All right, let me finish with that. Don't give up. Don't give up. I have no idea what's going to happen over the next year. I don't know what's going on with COVID. I don't know what kind of variants we're going to have. I don't know what this is going to force the church into doing with masks, with blah, 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 blah. I don't know because I don't know anything. I'm just like you. I know nothing. Don't give up. Stay with us. Let these rhythms and these relationships and the structure that we're trying to abide by God's word through, man, let it make you stick with us together. Thank you for sticking with us. You're here, which means you're sticking. Don't give up, though. It's one thing to stick today, but I'm saying don't give up tomorrow. Galatians 6, I'm going to read this. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Don't give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the, of the household of faith. Don't give up so that we can benefit from the good that will come from your heart to our hearts as the gospel is more deeply imprinted on them. I want to benefit from that. I want you to benefit from the ways that God is imprinting the gospel on my heart. And can you imagine how epic it's going to be in a year when we have one more year of not giving up, one more year of practicing these rhythms, one more year of community groups, one more year of going through this liturgy and singing these songs and being able to recall these scriptures and being able to grow from the power and the life of the word that is just turning and revolving within us and restoring us and redeeming. Can you imagine a year from now what this conversation will be like? I want to imagine that. Don't give up. Thank you for being here. Thank you for not giving up. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that you are good and you are faithful. And this faithfulness that we receive from you is felt here right now. And as I say those words, don't give up, 
I feel emotion because these are men and women that haven't given up and they've been faithful. So Lord, I thank you for them and I pray that you would bless them and I pray that these gospel rhythms, you would imprint them more deeply on our souls and in our hearts and that they would extend from our hands to one another. So Lord, we thank you as we're about to now um, enjoy communion and be reminded of the cross, be reminded of our life, Lord, that again, you would do a work in us to strengthen us, we ask in Christ's name, amen.